Derek, I know that you are a huge sci-fi fan. Well, you know it. The granddaddy of modern sci-fi, I say, aside from the whole Star Wars uh, universe, would have to be Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I know you've seen it. What about 2001? Oh, wait. We're not doing that, are we? No. But you've seen Close Encounters, right? I have not seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. What? You haven't seen? Haven't seen? Close Encounters of the Third Kind? (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) I have a confession to make. Welcome to You Haven't Seen, the podcast where Adam, Derek, and Colin force each other to watch movies they should have seen a long time ago. Yes, I, yes. I, I, I thought that I had seen this, and I had not. Wow, it's a twofer. It Ooh. is. Oh, Adam's gonna. Adam's in for a rude awakening here. I got a feeling if if Colin enjoyed it just as much as I did. I actually, I, I, I have to say, I did enjoy it. I wasn't crazy about the ending, but um, other than that, I, I, I was, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Well, we'll definitely talk about the ending because uh, there have been numerous cuts of that ending. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not sure which one we saw. I think the one that was on Netflix was the closest to the uh, theatrical that's out there. But that was we'll... that, that was definitely what I had read. Okay, so we'll get there. Um, but. Since Derek is the official haven't seener, um, do you want to give us a brief plot summary? Uh, is there a plot to this movie? All right. So people, the, the government's trying to cover up uh, aliens, UFOs, what have you. And uh, there's people that have been that have seen the UFOs, and there's scientists that are on the loose trying to find them and trying to make first contact. Richard Dreyfuss is one of the uh, characters who sees the UFO and gets a bad sunburn as a result. And then he starts going nutty because they put some crazy stuff in his brain. And so he has to go and make contact with the aliens. Oh, and along the way, some lady's kid gets abducted. And then they reveal all these abductions along the way. Uh, They cut cut to the end. Don't want to spoil spoilers here. Yeah, sure. Spoilers. Okay, spoilers. Uh, so spoiler alert. Uh, and uh, they meet up with the aliens, and the aliens sing songs back and forth with them. And uh, the lady gets her kid back and doesn't blow up the spaceship. I don't understand it. Yeah, I kept waiting, waiting for Randy Quaid, but he never shut up. That. <laughs> oh, so I... That might be the worst summary of a movie I've ever heard. Um, I, I tell you all the time. It's pretty spot on, actually. <laughs> I could read the IMDb summary, but you never let me. So, and when there are movies that I hate, it's going to be a terrible summary. I, I I don't understand hate. So I'll confess right now, I'm a huge UFO freak. Like the the whole nature of ufology just just fascinates me. Ufology. Uh, that's the study of UFOs. 
I feel like you were swearing just now. I, I feel like it's this whole area of science that, or pseudoscience, and there's a fine line between the two. There's some serious uh, academic research that goes into, you know, identifying what people think, what people have seen or think they have seen, um, and, and what some of these close encounters are versus, you know, I was abducted and, and probed and, and uh, you know, there's alien hybrids and all these sorts of things and finding that in between and how can you make the, the endeavor scientific yet still, um, you know, try to get to the bottom of some of the, the crazier type stories. So this is something that I've always loved. It may be as a result of seeing this movie when I was little or just that's what I'm into. I'm not sure. But I, I thought this movie upon this viewing, I, I just found it so clever. Um, for a number of reasons, and apparently the two of you did not. Uh, Colin said he enjoyed it. I think it's awful. I enjoyed it. I, I, I don't know that... I, I, I guess I would like to hear what you think was clever about it. First, it was a very Asimov science fiction. Um, these aliens were non-hostile. The, the goal was not invasion. The goal was not colonization. Um, I believe you're insulting Isaac Asimov at this point. He would have wrote a much better story. He, he, he may have, um, but you know, Asimov's whole theory behind his robot stories was that in the past robots had always been non-hostile, or robots had always been hostile. Robots had always gone haywire and, and tried to kill their creators and all these things. And so when he start, sat down to write robot stories, he said, "I want to write a story about robots, but the robots are a storytelling device. They are incidental. They are." You know, just a part of the background. And he purposely never had the robot be the bad guy. So, side note, uh, doesn't that not meet your definition of science fiction? Uh, for those of our viewers who, who haven't heard your definition of science fiction, perhaps you should remind them. Sure. So my definition of science fiction is when extraordinary things happen, but they're explained away with science. So I'm not sure. So how would that not fit my definition? The the the. If robots are just characters, then nothing is being explained away by science. The robots themselves are extraordinary. Uh, are people extraordinary too? Then I believe your whole your whole definition has been thrown out the window here. People are extraordinary. Well, aren't they? Maybe Zoe Deschanel, but so are so are sunrises and magnets. <laughs> Oh, so maybe I will have to refine it and say extraordinary things happen that are beyond the scope of current science, but are explained by science. All right, let's talk about the fact that Steven Spielberg actually doesn't believe in UFOs anymore since you brought up the whole UFO thing. Right. Well, do, do you know his, his rationale? Did you read that? I did. It's that he it's that look, everybody's got a camera now. Wouldn't we have seen lots of documented evidence of UFOs except from crazy people? And I, I think that's actually brilliant. Um you know, in nineteen eighty uh or sorry, nineteen seventy seven cameras were you know, the, the camera in everybody's hand was sort of a new phenomenon. Um, you know, within the last ten years it was very cheap to have a camera and, and to take pictures. And so you started to get some more of these um, documented evidences. But now that everyone has a cell phone in their pocket that has a high resolution camera and everyone has video cameras, you probably should have seen some more of these things up close. I think that that, that stands to reason. 
Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I. But does I'm, that? I'm I'm not fascinated by the idea of UFOs. I believe that if there was aliens, they would be here to conquer us, and that would be well conquer our planet so that they could steal our resources. Sure. But if there are intelligent aliens out there, the most intelligent thing they've ever done is not visit us. That to, to leave. So us they follow alone. the prime directive. Is that what you're saying? Sure. Why not? Maybe like the Vulcans, they're waiting for us to achieve warp technology. I don't, I don't know. But, and we've lost most of the audience at this point. Just well, there's, there's only 14 of them, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we have. Um, no, but I, I don't think that Spielberg's belief or non-belief detracts from the story. This is what could possibly occur. Uh, if there was to be some sort of contact, I, I think it takes all the UFO myths and sort of melds them in a good story. You know, it's not a Roswell story. There's not crashed. We're not doing experiments. Um, you know, it, they have visited us in the past, but very briefly, they have taken hostages, but those hostages weren't experimented on and harmed in any way. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it put together a, a neat little package, and granted, the movie didn't need to be uh, two plus hours. Yeah. Never going to get those back. But at it, its heart, it was a story of, of a man trying to find the truth. He, he found something that he didn't, that he didn't believe, uh, that he, that he couldn't, that he couldn't wrap his head around and he wanted to get at the truth. And he then did. he decided to make out with the other lady instead of Terry Gar. I mean, yeah, come exactly. On. That was Terry like... Gar looked pretty good in that movie. I have to say, yeah. Um, <laughs> a, young, a young, a young Derek really enjoyed a Terry Carr. Let me tell you, I believe Colin is egging me on at this point, but <clears throat> I can't believe I didn't see a Terry Gar movie. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you there. She's, <laughs> she's a pretty, she's a pretty lady. Um, she is. But you know, so so. Um, Not really anymore. Okay. But. So Richard, so Richard Dreyfus was he sacrificed his job, he sacrificed his family, he sacrificed everything because of his desire to find the truth. And Spielberg has gone back and said that um, if he were to do this again, he would not have had uh, Richard Dreyfus have children because his having children would, would um, influence his view of, of what would be acceptable behavior that, that, it, that it was not acceptable for him to you know abandon his family in, in pursuit of the truth. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't feel very empathetic towards him. And I think that probably took away something of, of my, I, I took a totally different I, – I felt like the aliens had made him, like, you know, like had implanted these things into him to, to the point where he was on this crusade. And, you know, even though he knew that it was nuts, he, he had to do this. And, and that to me, like – I mean that – you know, you were saying that the aliens, like they didn't do anything. I mean – but they really did. I mean they, they made all these people really want to go and make contact. Wouldn't I, I think some of the blame can fall to the government more so than the aliens. The aliens, you can say, didn't really have an understanding of humans and humanity and, and, and motivation that maybe this was just their way of saying, hey, come meet us. We want to talk to you. And the government denied, 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 denied. I mean, they had that press conference where, you know, the, the, the general showed the picture of the pie plate that he threw up in the air and um you know, they, they, they made these people feel as if they were crazy. And it didn't help that the old man was then started talking about Bigfoot. I thought that was an excellent 
uh, scene. That's... That was pretty funny. I will agree with you there. That was actually pretty funny. And then it's like the look on the people's face, like, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, talk radio when someone's saying something you agree with, but then they say it in a totally unappealing way. It's just I wish you would stop talking because <laughs> it makes my views seem so much less important. Uh-huh. All right, let's let's get into this here. All right, so the the characters are very, to me, very wooden in this. And I, I, I also thought that Spielberg, as a director, really let them overact here. Well, well I, yeah, I wouldn't say wooden. I would say one-dimensional. Uh, yeah, and, and just, like, way over-the-top performances by these people. Well, wow. Richard, Richard Dreyfuss is Richard Dreyfuss. He, he's one of those actors, and we, and we talked about in uh, Cuckoo's Nest that, um, you know, with Jack Nicholson, you really just let him be Jack Nicholson and you film the movie around it. With Richard Dreyfuss, I feel like you let him be Richard Dreyfuss and you film the movie around it. Carl Weathers put forth a phenomenal, he, phenomenal he role. Shined. He, he absolutely <laughs> shined. And the president of NBC. Bob Balaban? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Can't uh, help but steal a glance. Yeah, there was a little too much Richard Dreyfus, a little too little Terry Gar for me in this okay. movie. Okay. I actually do not. I mean, I think that I think that everybody's aware of my hatred for Richard Dreyfus and his awful acting. So there's I mean, a, I've yet to see a movie that I like that he was in. Besides, I'll, what about Bob? I was gonna say, <laughs> you don't like what about Bob? But. I'll put a few. I'll put a few on the list. We'll we'll discuss. Uh, we'll discuss after the show. Um, there's there's a few you might want to see, but again, he is he is always Richard Dreyfus. <sighs> yeah, I guess. I, so that whole storyline to me was um, irritating because he was driven and he was driving his family away, and he was Richard Dreyfus. But the other storyline of the government, just in the steps they were going through, that there was the little touches there that I thought were great. Um, having the the world expert on UFOs be French and that they pulled Bob Balaban in to be the translator. Uh, I, I thought that was a nice touch. I thought it was random. I did too. Yeah. And and the score, can we talk about the score? The sure. score is so, like, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, film scores. This score is so leading, it's ridiculous. What's your guy, though? I know, but it's terrible. It's John, it's John Williams. I mean, I know who it is. I is, saw who it was. Is he? That's what he does in scores, though. He tells you what's going to happen through the music. He tells you what's going on. He tells the story via the music. Oh, it was just too much. It was too over. Uh, I just did not like it at all. I mean, and I was surprised that it was him once I looked it up who it was. Oh, it so, sounded it sounded very John Williams. Really? I, I don't know. I guess it. I don't know. I, I felt like it was very generic me but i just felt like they beat you over the head with that score it was you know especially in the government parts did you did you catch the touches of i'm trying to think at the in the last scene when they're on uh the mountain in the score there was a a touch of when you wish upon a star i did catch that yeah it was a little disney yeah I, i i thought that that was it was very good it showed um I think it got that that sense of wonder, and that that sense of um, you know bringing out the child and everyone that this is at your base is discovering you know life outside our planet. I I thought that was that was a nice touch. I don't know. I I, I enjoyed it. I don't know that it stood out 
in most places one or the other in one way or the other is being distracting or um or really emphasizing what was happening i thought, I thought it was fine colin any thoughts uh i was indifferent to the score <laughs> uh, colin did you watch this on your tv or on your ipad that's the next question i have i watched it on the ipad okay as did i okay I watched it on the TV through the PS3. Okay. So, do you think that affected your liking of the score or dislike of the score? No, I was just curious. Because you were mad at you were mad at PS3. I was probably pretty mad at PS3 at that point after having to click through seven times in order to get my Netflix yeah. fix on. We watched it last Sunday actually, and uh, with Emily. And Emily likes the movie, and it was interesting to. to she's like, I'm like, this is so like. It's just so bad, I felt. Like, it was just so bad. But think about, like, if you were seven watching this. I was like, but I'm not. I'm 36, you know? It's not interesting to me at this age at all. This could uh, fall in that category of movies that I've always loved, so I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, in, in watching this, I, was, I picked up some other things. Uh, you know, I knew... The story, the astronauts in the background, and how they were being prepped to, uh, you know, make first contact and to go with the aliens, and they kind of showed them in the background in a few different scenes. Uh, most, uh, most interestingly, when they was when um, the French scientist was having the press conference where he sort of deciphered the music language, mm-hmm. and you saw just the row of astronauts in orange jumpsuits sitting in the back. Um, or maybe they weren't wearing orange jumpsuits then. They were wearing yellow jackets sitting in the back. But it was just that row where it was, all right, these people are obviously important. Uh, I don't know that they explained it uh, until that final scene on the mountain um, when they were wearing the orange jumpsuits and they looked like the visitors from V. I thought that was strange. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 don't, I just don't see what you see in the movie. It's a very simple plot. Like You're like, the story is good. I'm like, really isn't much of a story necessarily i don't think you know guy gets visited by aliens and then he starts going a little psychotic like i said i i thought of about it not as his quest but as the quest that was like implanted into him is kind of how i took it like and then i mean it was kind of i mean i was very sad that he sacrifices his job his family his everything in order to do this i mean the scene when he's throwing all that stuff inside the room you know inside the kitchen yeah that was that was weird it, it was it was it was it was a great breakdown though i mean just showed how much this affected him and the amount of people that were contacted i feel like the amount of people that saw these aliens and had that 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 close encounter uh, how many ended up in wyoming it was only was it one helicopter load worth as they were evacuating them um, so maybe because of who he was and who those people were, they had a more innate desire to find the truth where other people that maybe didn't have that, that were contacted, just sort of let it go. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, I took it as more that the aliens handpicked, you know, rather, you know, one person versus another person kind of thing. Yeah. And he was just happened to be one of those that, you know, really you know, they really picked on in order to do it. Cause like, there was nothing special about this guy. He's kind of a schmo. It yeah, seems he, like. But he was, he was the everyman. Yeah. Well, the everyman that's Richard Dreyfus. Oh. <laughs> he, so <laughs> the he shaving was. The cream scene was a little, I mean, yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
like, oh, God, really? But he was not the first choice by far. Uh, who, who did they have for this role? Steve McQueen uh, was one of the early choices, and he, I think he felt he wouldn't be good in the role. He, he would be distracting, so he didn't want to do it. But they were looking for a traditional action star. And uh, so after the success of Jaws and um, Dreyfus's relationship with Spielberg, I think Dreyfus really convinced him that he should get a try. So if this has been made 10 years later, who's starring in it? Bruce Willis. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, this is this is definitely a shoot 'em up if it happens in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I was like, yeah, it's somebody. And and I don't understand like that lady, you know, being a parent now, it's a different way of looking at the movie. Like the the fact that that lady doesn't want to like just go and strangle those aliens after they take her kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just weird. Like she was just like, well, I'll just take some pictures so that people know. I was like, right. What is going on in this movie? Right. Yeah. And and that ending scene is is a I, I paused it on the Netflix and I was like there's still 36 minutes left to go in this movie. How is that possible? Well, and thank goodness we were watching the theatrical and not the extended. Yeah. Because uh, they went back and film and Spielberg made, I think Spielberg had a hand in making the shots inside the spaceship uh, after they take Dreyfus on board. And it's just lights and him looking around and it's so lame. And Spielberg then said he regretted having done it. Um, just sort of ridiculous and that's what happens when you get like i think sometimes the studios are right to not give these guys so much money like when they start asking for like crazy stuff i feel like all right well you know what it's fine without that sometimes you know well the let's talk about director's cuts themselves i i feel like sometimes it's just sometimes most times it's just a way to sell more copies that you have a theatrical and then oh and we're going to release a director's cut so you'll have to see it again uh, and usually it's just we take what was on the cutting room floor and we put it in the movie, and it's distracting. I don't know that a lot of directors, well, your higher-end directors, I don't really know that they're turning in something that they feel is so badly butchered that they need to put out another cut. Yeah. There's a few notable examples. I mean, you talk about Richard Donner and Superman 2, or, of course, the Renegade version of, uh, of Highlander 2, where they tried to make sense of a, of a, of a movie that didn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't think anybody else was thinking about that. <laughs> At least twelve of our of our fourteen listeners were definitely thinking of, of uh, Highlander too. I thought you were going to go with Blade Runner, the one that Ridley Scott, where he yeah. just has a million versions of Blade Runner. Yeah. So many that they had to create a suitcase edition of the Blu-rays so that you had somewhere to put them all. And believe me, I will not be buying that. Oh God! And there, are, I've seen them all, and there, I mean. The only one of them is different than the other ones, really. Yeah, yeah, I do think that director's cuts sometimes... It depends on the movie. Like, the Daredevil director's cut was certainly better than the movie, which I actually am not a Daredevil hater, so... Um, But it's certainly better than the original version. Um, What about Elektra? I did not... I actually never saw Elektra. That was was one big snooze fest. (laughs) There is a director's cut. I'm not aware of it. Um, Let's see. What what was the other one that I thought... um, like, I mean, Lord of the Rings, obviously. The director's cut's there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't even know if they call it director's cut. They just tell it, like, extended. extended. Right. Yeah. I think oftentimes whatever whatever appears on the cutting room floor, you know, and I'm one of those people that really likes to, like, 
okay, we, we like this movie. Let's watch the deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those deleted scenes, you're like, oh, I can see how this would have totally slowed the plot down of this entire movie. Yeah, so, I, I feel like this, it, if they had taken a half hour out of this movie, I think I would have liked it a lot. I, I could definitely see that. Um, but also, you know, Spielberg was the advanced guard of the film auteur. You know, it was Spielberg and Coppola and Lucas that were this new generation of director that had that wrote the story, that directed the movie, that, you know, conceived of every of every bit of it. And they, you know, began to have this clout. And so I, I don't know that the cut that was turned into the studio for any of these guys was something that they were unhappy with. It's true. I mean, they kind of had, you know, they, they kind of had all of the ability, the power to do whatever they wanted, I feel like. So, oh. I mean, when did the, is this one of his first movies? Yes, it's his second. Well, his second major. So it was Jaws and then this, I believe. Okay. And so he hired Richard Dreyfuss for both those movies, huh? That's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Dreyfus was perfect in Jaws. It's perfect. Yeah. No. He's, he's a gung ho scientist. I mean, he's just he's irritatingly, you know, in, talk about Jaws, but you know, he's just he he's the one with the drive. He wants to know, and it's sort of the same thing where it's at the expense of safety and and right and, and common sense. They're you know, three he's guys. It's three guys in a boat. You know, they're they're out there trying trying to figure out what's going on and get to the bottom of it. Yeah, boy, I, I tell you, I mean, and thankfully, Steven Spielberg, director of Rangers of the Lost Ark, and has some other movies under his belt. Because if this was the, if this was the thing, that, if this movie and Jaws are the things that he has to hang his hat on, then I feel like those do not. This movie does not stand the test of time. I could see in 1977 this would be a very interesting concept. The special effects certainly would have been out of this world for 1977, and it would have been a very clever lot because you wouldn't have saw it coming but i think we've kind of evolved over the course of the last 30 years to a point where this plot is feels contrived it feels stale well how many movies prior to this had aliens like that you'd seen like coming to earth there was plenty in the in the you know in the 50s, 50s yeah. yeah but i mean but those I mean, are like b movies right those aren't right at the time they weren't i don't think well, I mean, no, they, they, they definitely were um, but they were, it was always malevolent aliens, you know, these guys that were out to harm humanity. Yeah. So, and they, you know, they were, they were monsters. They were monster movies, but they came from outer space. So, you know, so, and I think that's why Star Wars was revolutionary because it, it, it showed that science fiction could not only be popular, but it could be important and it could tell a, a really significant story. You know, and in the original Star Wars case, that was a very simple story, but it it was not just an excuse to have people shooting at each other with lasers. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, tw- you know, certainly in the television realm, you know, Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and shows like that. I mean, Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, they had aliens that were not evil necessarily, mm-hmm. and so I, I mean, I think that kind of holds water, I guess, for movies, but. For TV shows, there certainly were plenty of TV examples of TV shows where you know the aliens weren't bad. I, I would disagree with you on that, because except for Star Wars, I mean, The Outer Limits—that they were monsters of the week in that show. Um, in Lost in Space, for example, it was the guy in the foam suit that was going after the Jupiter too. Like, 
there wasn't a really good example. Maybe my favorite Martian, you know, he was he was a plucky old man that that had special powers, but yeah. What about Twilight Zone? I mean, there was plenty of episodes of Twilight Zone where the aliens weren't necessarily the, like I felt like they portrayed humanity as much more of the flaw. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than the oh, I, other I, things. I think Twilight Zone will stand out. It already does, but for the next 100, 200 years as being some of the finest storytelling on television. Yeah, and that's why, like, this movie definitely does not hold up for me. And, like, a lot of Spielberg stuff I feel like does hold up for me. Mm -hmm. I'll watch, you know, I mean, I can watch the Indiana Jones movies anytime. anytime. All all three of them. Yeah, all three is right. Uh, Jurassic Park, I mean, I can watch that. And even a lot of Jurassic Park is so tiresome for me. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah. Not at all. I don't it know, was, maybe I was like the perfect age. To, I mean, it just was amazing to me. Yeah, that, that's one that, you know, I read the book, I liked the book, I watched the movie, I liked the movie, but when they said they were making a second one, I had no desire to revisit that universe. I'd never read the second book for that. Um, it second, just... second book was okay. Uh, book and the movie okay. certainly doesn't follow the Third book. Jurassic Park was an abomination. Oh, yeah. I, I, I went back and watched them after, but they were definitely not movies that I caught in the theater. Um, yeah. You know, Jurassic Park, it was it was a vehicle to show, look at the great special effects we can do with these dinos. I always feel like, though, when like Spielberg has his stamp on something, like it's something that is special. It's something that, you know, it, even the stuff that he produces, I mean, he pre, you know, for example, he produced the Casper movie, which, you know, isn't a great filmmaking or anything by any stretch of the imagination. But it's it's. If, if in the hands of anybody else as a producer, I feel like it would it would be really, really bad. Yeah. And he actually turned it into a fairly good movie. It wasn't... Poltergeist the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what I expect out of these movies. And, and that's why this movie, like, I was really looking forward to seeing it, having never saw it. And then I was like, wow, this is it, huh? So maybe I would suggest, and I'd, I'd never do this, but read the novelization. Because Spielberg did actually write it. And I remember so many things about this movie that apparently weren't in the movie... And I realized that I had read the novelization a couple times, probably, uh, just because, you know, as you know, I found it in a used bookstore or something, and I, I tore through it, and that was you know, somewhere well after the movie came out, obviously. But, you know, maybe I was in sixth or seventh grade, because I remember all sorts of things about what the types of close encounters actually were. And it, I was shocked to see that they never explained that. Um, you know, that close encounters, the first kind is seeing the lights in the sky, second kind was uh making some sort of intelligent you know uh transfer of information then third was actually physically meeting somebody and then in my ufology study uh i I did read a bunch of j allen hynek who was who, who was the preeminent ufologist scientist but to the point where he was the lead scientist on project blue book which was the air force's um response to the ufo uh phenomenon and he actually left the project because he knew because the Air Force's policy was deny, 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 debunk, 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 and he was forced to come up with explanations that were not plausible, but that could explain away some of these sightings. Um, and, and so I feel like that aspect of it, it I guess, is what had um, the interest for me. It was the government cover-up. It was you know this idea that uh, you could have intelligent conversation. And through music, I thought was a very clever device that these aliens communicated through light and sound rather than through what we would consider speech. 
See, I thought that was dumb that we were parroting something back that we had no idea what we were saying, though. But in yeah, the last, we could have been telling him like "screw you" or something. I thought that was a little... in the in the last scene. You know, they had the giant computer that was hooked up, and they were telling the guy what to play on the keyboards. And eventually, they said okay, and they flipped the switch, and the computer took over, and it had the conversation because the aliens were giving the primer uh, of uh, of what the language was, and they were teaching the humans how to speak their tonal language. I thought that was very clever. Well, you got a lot out of that movie that I did not. But again, it's probably from reading the novelization. Yeah, I was going to say. I got a I, lot more. I did not. I did not see that at all. I just felt like they were just mimicking. It's just yeah. that's what it felt like. But do you, do you remember the scene where the where the keyboard started playing itself? Yeah, I do. I mean, okay. yeah. And I I got what was happening there. I, and then there was the big giant computer, which right. is less processing power than a calculator these days. But it's, it's good to see though. No, there's yeah. lo- there's lots of great uh, reminders that it is the 70s. I loved my favorite, my absolute favorite was McDonald's. Over 24 billion served. <laughs> yeah that was i remember yeah. when, i remember when all the signs hit 99 billion and then when nothing they started when, well right nothing happened. but when they started replacing the sign then they just said billions and billions because they, they, they couldn't count anymore i was really disappointed that they didn't just reward some poor schmuck and say you're our hundred billionth customer just Give them a lifetime's worth of McDonald's. Get some free publicity. Oh, they know that's a death sentence, though. So. I did think that I thought that it was a little cheap that they were telling stories through the news reports. I thought that that was I don't know. I just I I, I felt like that was a little. A weak uh, way to advance the plot. Yeah, it's just not a a weird plot, a weird way to a weird plot device, I guess. You know, like instead of actually having you know. You know, it's like when you see the newspaper in an old movie and it tells you, you know, what's going on in the world kind of thing. It was like just, the, old, the old newsreel. Yeah. I mean, it, instead of like showing us like the government doing all these things, like and again, that's one of those I, we have to hit you over the head kind of thing. Like I didn't need those news reports necessarily. Like they could have they could have told it in a different way. They could have showed us more. Sure. Again, to me, the more interesting story, though, is the government end of it and not. Roy, not Roy, you know, um, Richard Dreyfus is part of it. So maybe had they cut his part down and told more of the government story and the, and the, the scientist story that they wouldn't have had to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, did it, I mean, the movie's two hours and 15 minutes long. I mean, what other things did they have? I mean, there was lots there's... of, there was lots of glamour shots. There's lots of glamour shots. of devil's tower. There was so many glamour shots of the lights going by and it, it, it was, it was very, very. Look at the visual effects. Look at what we can do. Yeah, it's very slow. I mean, movie. You know, they're not advancing the plot very much at all. And then, like, it was the, it was the, it was the 70s though. I mean, movies were slow. Well, but to believe they're on this army base and they can just get away, especially with Carl well, Weathers on. It, it was an ad hoc army base though. I mean, well, Carl Weathers would have tracked him down and and punched <laughs> him into into a pulp. But <laughs> No, I mean, as long as the this, predator wasn't there, I think it would have been just fine. But no, but this was this was an ad hoc army base. I mean, the government only had a few days more notice than than Roy did. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I mean, but they're military trained and they can't track these guys down. I mean, I don't know. I just the the most implausible was that his station wagon could do that much off road in Wyoming. 
Yeah, that is true. Like, we're not going to take the road, and they're driving over open terrain. That car would have had four flat tires within a half a mile. Yeah, that is true. I I, I thought I had thought of that too <laughs> as I was watching <laughs> it. <laughs> but I mean, just the fact that they were running away from the art, like, and if the army really wanted, like, well, then they just shoot them. Right. <laughs> They had nothing to lose. Oh, poor Barry got a, or not Barry, Barry's the guy. Larry, 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 Larry got gassed. Poor guy. It's true. I, I also felt like that gas part was weird because they were like right next to him prior to that. And then they just, they like jump into a tiny part of the canyon and the gas escapes them. Yeah. It was weird. <laughs> I mean, gas doesn't work that way. But I mean, I understand that that is, you know, like you go in there with a amount of, you know, believability is kind of low. Sure. I mean, today they would have been shooting them with stun darts. I mean, they wouldn't have bothered gassing. Did, did we Did we understand? Like, okay, so the government knows about the UV issue, right? And then at the end, nobody's like baking out there. From no, no, lights. I think I, from what I understand, the 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 bright light, the UV issue, that was their way of communicating. So when they beam the stuff in his brain. That was the bright light. And so um, uh, Barry's mom, she also had the burn and she also had the message delivered to her. But wouldn't the government have been prepared just in case? Like, I, f I felt like maybe they were they were all they... wearing sunscreen. The 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 uh, guys in the orange <laughs> jump, the guys in the orange jumpsuits were wearing big blocky sunglasses. So it was probably some. It was the 70s, though. They all wore big blocky sunglasses. <laughs> Either the seventies or Tron, one of the two. So, yeah. Anyway, anyways, it, like I said, I just feel like the the movie was very overacted, and I cannot believe that Spielberg would allow them to do that. Like, I feel like he was more concerned with the technical aspects than he was with the story. Yeah. And and I wonder when when did he make that transition to caring more about the story? It must have been with Raiders. Uh, or E.T. Et another one that doesn't hold up to. Oh, sorry, it doesn't. Oh, 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 come on. It doesn't. Come on, Derek. I was so excited to watch it when they released it on video, right? Sure. sure. For the whatever. It, 15, it, it, it had been 15 years, yeah. And it and I watched it and I was like, wow, this is not good. This just isn't. It, it's. I mean, I've watched the last Starfighter and that holds up better. Than Et? Yeah. Colin, it does. Colin. I, I, I don't remember the last time I saw E.T. I, I would not envision it holding up well. I would have to watch it. but. Yeah. And, and Drew Barrymore is your girl, too. I can't believe you're she, saying these she things. She is my girl. However, she is a girl in the movie, too, so it doesn't really... But you were, <laughs> but you were a young boy, so... Yes, I was, but... You grew up with her. Yes, that is true. And Drew Barrymore is my girl. I do believe everybody knows that, so... But that, that it just it's and she's not in it very much. That was the other thing that surprised me about E. Not, not that not that this is an ET podcast, but that was the other thing that surprised me about ET was that she's not in it very much at all. Like how she became so entrenched as a movie star after that role is beyond me. Well, that that was not the movie that made her a movie star. <laughs> she yeah, was well, she she had uh what was it reconcilable differences when she was a little bit older. And then she did a lot of drugs, and then but she was... wouldn't have she wouldn't have gotten that role had it not been for E.T. The Barrymore family were Hollywood royalty. They were, and yes. so it was just it was just I think it was her name that that got her in the door. 
and all and all the family yeah. connections. But I mean, she she really credits uh, Steven Spielberg and ET that role in ET. She wasn't getting very many good roles until ET. She well, was, she like was three. <laughs> she was like five years well, old. Yeah. Well, I, well I, 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 having read her, you know, biography, you know, so. You read Drew Barrymore's biography? <sighs> yes. I like biographies. Anyways, I feel like it's, you have an affection for this movie that. I do, but I also have an affection for the, for the, um, for the subject matter. I, I, I love this idea of, of alien visitation. I love this idea of really scientifically investigating you know the idea that the government knows, and in this case, the government was government was being somewhat benevolent in protecting the public, um, but just what the what the motivations were and the involvement of the scientists in making the decisions. And it, it, even though it was a military operation, they deferred to the scientists. I just, I thought it was great. Yeah, I don't think that really happened, but that's okay. Well, <laughs> if you watch Stargate, it does happen. Yes, yes, but that's in a fantasy world there. So is, is Steven Spielberg, do you think, think that he's really, no, like, when you think Steven Spielberg, I mean, do you think the average person, when they think Steven Spielberg, do they think hmm. Close Encounters? Of, now? What, of what age? I think that's very important. How old I think, yeah. I think, I think the, if they're in their 30s, do they if, think? Well, if you're in your late 30s, it's Jaws. If you're in your early 30s, it's probably Indiana Jones. Yeah. I mean, I think this one kind of gets lost in the shuffle a lot. I, I mean, certainly it did for me. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not one of his bigger hits. It's not, you know, one of the more enduring. I mean, Indiana Jones will forever be, you know, synonymous with Steven Spielberg, especially because it was the collaboration between Spielberg and Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was. Hugely successful as well. I mean, it's just ridiculously successful. So yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I was just looking at the IMDb page and, you know, it says, you know, Steven Spielberg known for, it's like Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, AI, and Poltergeist. Like, those are the movies, besides Schindler's List, those are the movies that I wouldn't necessarily associate with him. According to uh, to the uh, credits of Poltergeist, he was the producer, not the director. So He was. But, I mean, he, that's they're just saying, like, those are the, the most popular IMDb the way that if you don't the way that they do the known for is it's based upon the the four movies that are the most uh, like searched for on their database. Interesting. Well, so, for, for me, he's most known for being the uh, the tax collector in the Blues Brothers. That is true. He, wow. he was on lunch when they got there as well. That's correct. So. He was eating a sandwich. <laughs> Uh, so Jim Henson is known as the uh, guy who takes in the uh, who gives uh, John Belushi back his. That was, that was Frank Oz. Frank Oz, sorry, I knew killing me. That was Yoda himself. <laughs> I knew it was one of those guys. Anyways, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm I'm glad you had me watch the movie because I now I at least can say with without a doubt that this was a terrible movie. Well, I, I'm. I suspect I, I, I'm disappointed, but I'm not entirely shocked. Yeah, I mean, and I'm surprised that you, upon a repeated viewing, think that it's pretty good. It's an enjoyable watch. This is this is by our definition of a five star Netflix movie. This is a five star Netflix movie. I will sit down and watch this when this is on TV. It's interesting. I would flip right past it. I'd be like, hmm, this is oh, this is that movie, and then I would flip past, and then Terry Gar would come on, and then I'd leave it for a little bit. That's about it. 
the year is 1994, and Hugh Grant is doing it up New York style. I think he's doing it up uh, transvestite prostitute style. But that was later. Okay. <laughs> that was after 1994. And a little movie called Four Weddings and a Funeral comes up, comes out, directed by Michael Newell. Colin, you've seen that movie, haven't you? Uh, I great, love it. It's a great movie. Adam, you've seen this movie, right? Uh, I didn't have a girlfriend in 1994, so I did not see that movie. What? You didn't have you a girlfriend seen? in 1994? You haven't seen? Come on. <laughs> is it... I'm glad it's hard for you to believe that I didn't have a girlfriend, but it is true. All right, here we go. Ready? Take two. What? You, you haven't, haven't seen, seen four weddings and a funeral? I haven't. Thank you for listening to You Haven't Seen, a production of the Robot Warrior Network 2011. Visit us at youhaven'tseen.robotwarriornetwork.com or email yhs at robotwarriornetwork.com. I'm familiar with editing.